The Athletic. And welcome to Pod on the Time, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Buzz off, Newcastle dispatch the bees with Bruno pulling the strings. Stat attack, Kev Lawson on our domination of the numbers game. And another big day in store for the women's team as they return to St James's Park. Yes, hello, this is Podnatine. I am Taylor Payne and it's just me and thee, Chris Woff, just the two of us. You and I, yet again. Yeah, all right. Well, I'm, I am all right, other than, I mean, you say it's just the two of us, and yet, and we know we're going to get out on this in a bit, and yet, they think that we've got rid of George for the weekend, and yet his name still appears in light. He's just everywhere, isn't he, that man? But no, I am I am good, thank you. Yes, uh, still trying to digest a 5-1 Newcastle United victory. It's still, uh, still fresh in a positive way, but how are you? How, how are you doing, Taylor? I'm all right. I'm a busy boy at the minute. I hurt me back the other day as well, which is one of those getting old things, Chris. Back pain. Do you suffer from back pain, Chris? Not just yet, no, but I am sprightly and young. Well, it's coming, mate. Don't worry about that. I'm a fully paid up member of the Something New Hurts Every Morning Club, and this week it's the back. And, and what, what, what made you hear it? Was it just ce- was it just celebrating Bruno Gimaraes? I think I just stood up too quick without giving myself enough notice the other day. I think that's horrible. I have to build up to it. Now, I've got that age where I'm like, right, okay, I'm going to get up in a minute. Let's just get myself settled. Right, okay, make sure everything's working. Both feet on the floor. There we go. Yeah, and nah, just went for it too quickly. And a little twinge. Oh dear. But yeah, we'll get there. We'll be all right. We'll be all right. Anyway, let's crack on. Let's talk about that Brentford game. An absolutely brilliant display again, and this time against 11 men. Uh, And let's start with that flag display at the top. You know, celebrating a year after the takeover. And guess who got his name all over it? That's just, I'm still angry. Absolutely furious. I was sitting there in the stand with my little lad, and he were both watching it. And I said, "You've got to watch it properly. The date's special. It's going to be a special one." And he was like, "Oh, watching it, watching it." And I'd just seen the yellow banner on film at the bottom, and it said Colton. And I went, "Ah, oh, no! He's going to be an insufferable prick for the rest of this week now, isn't he? Bless him." But yeah, it was it was incredible, wasn't it? It was like a big Sky Sports News kind of thing with a ticker going along the bottom. Uh, yeah, a, a massive surfer that covered the entire Gallagher end and a great way to start off the day, wasn't it? Yeah, I was very fortunate. That I, would, I sort of had an idea of what, of what was coming. Uh, I'd spoken some people in around uh, around the group and they'd had this big idea of what they wanted to try and achieve and I thought it looked absolutely wonderful. And uh, yeah, there were a few digs at uh, sort of other media organisations for to do with the takeover. And then, there were. But to see, to see the pictures, basically a celebration of... The, the past year, looking at a few key moments, one of which was, was Eddie Howe being unveiled as manager and obviously the new owners coming in. It had, had listed all of the 
new signings during that time and mentioned obviously that Mike Ashley was the big one who'd gone, which was which was the key behind it. But yeah, it was it was it was great and it was quite the contrast from before the Bournemouth game where there'd been no music beforehand, no displays for for the obvious reasons of it of it being still during the morning period after Queen Elizabeth II's death. But this was this was just intense atmosphere, positivity energy as how and a lot of the players yeah. referred to it as that really did uh, sort of infiltrate onto the pitch and, and into the players as well. Oh, we can't go any further without hearing from the man of the hour. Hi all, it's George checking in from Portland, Oregon. I'm on a holiday over here. My mum, my stepdad, my two brothers, AJ and Tom have lived here since I was 17. So I'm a regular visitor and it's not turned out to be the happiest of holidays this one because Henry, my lovely stepdad, had a fall and broke his hip not long after I got here, so a lot of the time is spent sort of going to visit him and looking after my mum and so on and so forth. But got a huge boost on Saturday when I sat down with AJ, my brother, who's a massive Newcastle fan over here, and my two little nephews, and we uh, sat down to watch the Brentford match. What a brilliant, what a brilliant game that was! Anyway, and at the start, I see the amazing war flags display, and there's my name on the corner of the screen, scrolling across the the Gallagate, and uh, my phone started buzzing. My nephews were jumping up and down in front of the TV saying what's going on. AJ, I think, understood. It was a daft tweet from the takeover a year ago. But my God, what family points that's won me. And just a fantastic boost during a difficult moment. So I just want to say thank you to to, to all flags for including my, my daft tweet on that beautiful display and... Yeah, to use this as an excuse to say <laughs> that I love my family very much and just to wish you all lots and lots of love. Wish I'd been there to see the game in person, but um, I'll be back soon and miss you all. And the other highlight, Chris, was watching that game with Voodoo Donuts, which are in a Portland institution. There's always huge lines 24 hours a day at this great donut shop, and I was eating maple syrup and bacon donuts. Mm. Love you all. See you soon. Bye. Oh, there we go. Even when he's not here, he's still here, isn't he? He is. Bless him. Emotional. Uh, no, no. And sending huge love to, to him and his family. Absolutely, it, yeah. It has, it has been difficult for them. But if he thinks that, that sending an emotional message is going to prevent us from taking the mick out of him, then he's very much mistaken. Uh, yeah, the execution, the idea for the flag was wonderful, wasn't it? The execution left ever so slightly a little bit to be desired. Um, it got slightly twisted. Part of it didn't go across the bottom of the, the stand the way they wanted it to, and it happened to be George's bit. <laughs> that didn't quite make it. But if anything, it was sort of representative of him, you know, like almost in- individualistic, uh, determined, the, yeah. almost to keep his name in lights for even longer. Yeah. It wasn't quite that sort of, you know, he wanted that massive rendition of his face to be on in, in on a war flag at some stage, which may still come. Please, God, don't let it. But it may still come. This was more just, instead, he just gets his name there. He just gets his name just stuck at the, the bottom right-hand corner of the Gallagher end as you look at it. But no, it was it was a very ambitious display. And it was. It didn't quite work, but he could, I think my favourite bit of it all was just when it just said hashtag cans, just came across. Cans <laughs> going across the bottom. That was amazing. That was so funny. It was like they went, well, we've, we've knocked that bit up. Let's just send that last bit out. Get that get that out. We'll have to, we can't miss that. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the flag, Chris, of your face and just the quote underneath saying, I don't think Miguel Maron should be starting in the Premier League every week. Uh... <laughs> Did I ever say that, did I? I don't know, probably something along them lines. Uh, anyway. Yes, yes. Mi- Bless you. M- alongside Jack Grealish, probably. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Chris, you wanted to give a shout out to uh, a couple of people as well, didn't you? I did indeed. So a few weeks ago, I had 
a, a DM on Twitter from Mark Mary, and I think that's how you say his name on Twitter. Uh, uh, anyway, but he's from Wahoo in Nebraska. Wow! And he is—he uh, has become a Newcastle United fan. It was his, apparently his professor at college who was a Newcastle fan. Brought him into into that. He started watching the games, and then he met his fiance who watched the matches with him. And on their honeymoon, they travelled across to St James's Park, and they were there on Saturday for the first. Uh, ever match so quite the occasion for them to see that display to have the celebration a 5-1 victory and so yeah I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to them all the way uh, they, they, I think they're heading home now but, 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 what, but what a weekend they must have had oh amazing congratulations and what a wedding present that is isn't it a 5-1 win Trippier 25 yards out swings in a great ball Bruno Heller by Raya, Wilson's in, he squared it, Jacob Murphy, Jacob Murphy has made it two for Newcastle, penalty for Brentford, Tony against Pope, scores and sends the keeper the wrong way, Bruno's got involved in Newcastle, trying to win it back and they have won it back and it's Bruno with Murphy and Willock to the left, Bruno at the edge of the area, goes for goal himself, and what a goal from Bruno, a short back pass, Ball down the left for Joel Linton. Wood in the middle. Anderson too. It's a no oh, goal. It's five for Newcastle. It's one of the day, the best days of my life. I'm playing number six. It's difficult to score and they score two goals and it's two beautiful goals. So it's nice. Uh, I think the goals was important for the game. Uh, was my was my goal, my first goal of the season as well. So I'm happy, proud of the team, proud of the gaffer, uh, and the, we need to keep it going. Incredible stuff. Uh, we have to say, Chris, Bruno Gimaraes, he just ran the show, didn't he? He was just the beating heart of everything that Newcastle did and everything they did well. Two goals, a man-of-the-match performance, pinging the ball around the midfield, winning it back. The energy, the drive, the passion, everything about the lad is just brilliant, isn't it? It is, and actually, weirdly, and this has sort of been forgotten about, but he didn't actually start the game particularly well. It took him a bit of time to get into it. He gave the ball away a little bit early on, and and it was sort of that sort of summed up Newcastle in the first 10, 15 minutes where they were they seemed to have all this energy but didn't quite know how to find their rhythm and, and get into play. But then as soon as as soon as he did get into it, it was just he was he, he, they just couldn't deal with him. I mean Brentford didn't play with with really defensive midfielder and and that was an issue because it just meant that Bruno Gamarayas had so much space to ping balls out left right and send. I mean he, he spread the one early on to Almiron when he cut in and had that really good shot yeah. with his left foot from the edge of the area to keep a save. That came from a a spread pass from Bruno. Obviously the very very well worked set piece for his opener which came at an important time. That the thing about Bruno's two goals is not just how good they both were, it was how crucial they were in the context of the match. They needed the first one and they needed the third one then when that came because Brentford had just scored and the momentum could have potentially shifted. I mean I, I do think the keeper should have saved Bruno's first one, but taking that aside, to to get the power on the head that he did and the ball from Kieran Trippier. Pass by yeah. Trippier is amazing. Yeah, isn't it? absolutely wonderful. Absolutely brilliant. And it's been worked on. That's the detail that Newcastle have now, the the attention to detail they have in these environments. And and yeah, to to, to have it bounce off that beautiful peroxide blonde bonce and <laughs> 
can't miss him and Joel Linton now, can you? You cannot. Can't miss you cannot, it, it, When he spoke to uh, reporters after the game, actually, he was asked about it, Bruno, and he said that his wife hates the haircut, but because he scored with it, he's going to keep it. So, Amazing. Uh, so unfortunate for her, but fortunate for the rest of us. And, of course, another goal for our little Paraguayan friend, Chris. Your mate and mine, Miguel Almiron, with another goal. And, I mean, it was a gift, wasn't it? Let's be honest. An absolute gift, as a few of the goals were from Brentford's uh, point of view. But, hey, he keeps putting them in the net, man. He keeps scoring. And he's and I thought, he actually, the goal aside, I thought his performance was pretty decent as well. Well, I mean, you say it was a gift, actually, and we'll get onto this when, when we chat to Kev in the next section about the pressing. But, actually, it, I think it was a, it was an unforced... There, there, there were sort of unforced errors, but with a degree of Newcastle forcing them because of the way that they pressed and the way that... And Miguel Almiron was like a la- one-man pressing machine there. I actually think Almiron was better on Saturday than he had been even the previous Saturday. I thought he was excellent. He looked... He looked confident. He took the game to Brentford at key moments. He's so important off the ball. But what he did on it, he was decisive. He really did actually make the right decision a lot of the time in, in the final third. He took that opportunity brilliantly. As I say, he was unlucky with that shot beforehand. And this is this is the Miguel Almiron I, I wanted to see. And I'm so pleased that we are seeing it. I'm so pleased I have to eat another portion of that humble pie. And I, I'm getting even fatter by the minute just, just tucking into it. But it was, it was just great great to see because he, he he is he does inspire his teammates by the way that he when he wins the ball and when they do things like that and I think that he benefits so much from having Bruno Gimaraes behind him because of the way that that, that, that he can spread play and, and the decisions that he makes and also Kieran Trippier really likes playing uh, with Miguel Almiron I was speaking to people inside the club and they were saying if he could pick anyone to play on the right hand side in front of him it's Almiron because of what he does off the ball and that sort of those three between them, the way that they link up, I just think is so key to the way Newcastle are playing at the minute. Absolutely. And also, I have to have a mention for Jacob Murphy as well. His first goal in, I think, something like 18 months, isn't it? The first time he's scored for a long time. Uh, great work by Callum Wilson. Again, a bit of a shocker from the Brentford goalkeeper in defence. But Callum Wilson latches onto that ball and, and, and squares it for Murphy. And, and Murphy tucks it away. And he looked so happy with his... Uh, with his goal and his celebration and everything, and you forget, you know, he's he's a he's a fan of the club. He's a boyhood fan of the club, uh, and he's he's done well over the last couple of weeks, hasn't he? He came in for a bit of stick recently at times, but I think he's done really well when he's been coming in and playing instead of Alan St. Maximin. He, he did do well, and and this is it was testament to Eddie Howe for sticking with the same eleven. It was controversial in some ways because. I think a lot of people wanted to see Alan St. Maximan in the team. They wanted to see Joe Linton back into the team, but Eddie Howe persisted with the same 11. He, 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 the, it's ironic in one sense because we used to sometimes criticise Steve Bruce because he would persist with an 11 if, if they won a match. But I think that the difference with Eddie Howe is that there's a, it's almost like, he, I will I will drop you if you don't then deliver what I want. And there's always a reason behind why he sticks with it. He thinks that you have, you've come in, you've got made that shirt your own. And until until someone else can come and improve otherwise, you deserve to stay in that. And they'd really had delivered at Fulham. Sure, Longstaff had played well there as well. And so he kept him in the side. Dan Byrne had played well at left-back. He kept him there as well and didn't make changes for changing six. But Jacob Murphy, yes, looked delighted with the goal. Again, he pressed for the keeper, though he was the, he was involved in the build-up to that goal as well. And he's had a couple of other opportunities uh, at other parts of the game. And it, what was interesting on, on Saturday was that actually, I think... Callum Wilson probably didn't have his best game, and yet Newcastle still scored five. He missed a couple of chances. I also thought there were large sections of the match where he wasn't necessarily central to the action of what was going on. But I also think that just his mere presence on the pitch 
attracts defenders, disrupts the opposition, and Newcastle profit because of that. He allows those wide players to get forward, doesn't he? He allows and brings them into the game. And, he, you know, the, the assist for the Jacob Murphy goal, he's put a lot of good work in there before he gets the chance. Uh, and obviously, as a striker, he's going to be looking to try and put that in the net himself. But when he realises the chance isn't there... He looks for his teammate and, you know, that's that's all you can ask of him. He doesn't, he, if he's not scoring, at least he's setting up. I would be more worried, and I know it's a bit of a cliche, but I'd be more worried if the chances weren't coming for him. Oh, definitely. He might still be a little bit ring rusty as well, because obviously he's had a bit of time out. We thought he looked a little bit ring rusty at Fulham when, I mean, he scored, but obviously he missed a sit early on and missed a couple of other chances. And then obviously this week as well, it may just be taking a bit of time for him to get back into the yeah. swing of things. Uh, I think part of the reason why he did centre to, to Jacob Murphy was he had received an absolute bollocking from uh, from Jason Tindall on the touchline when he hadn't passed yeah. a bit earlier on when he was through on the right-hand side of the box. And I think it was Murphy and might have been Willick or and both. Willick, that, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he shot. And, and Newcastle ended up recovering the ball again. But it, I think that uh, I think that he had uh, Jason Tindall in his, in his, in his orange face, just, to, just, just that vision in his... In his that he needed to to actually cross the ball. The mahogany goblin. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it was a limp showing from Brentford, wasn't it? I mean, poor Ethan Pinnock. My God, I bet he wished the ground would open up and swallow him. He'd give away the ball for the Almiron goal and then turn Joel Linton's cross into his own net. Was it that we were great on the day? I mean, we were good, but was it... Were, Brent, were Brentford terrible or was it a bit of both, do you think? I think it was a bit of both and I think part of the reason why Brentford struggled was because Newcastle, as I said earlier, forced them into making mistakes with, the, with their press and their intensity. But I didn't think it was actually Newcastle's best performance of the season, not not by a long stretch. What do you think it is, just out of just out of interest, which one was? Man City, but equally... right. Uh, I also think I also think that in attacking sense they were actually better against Crystal Palace. They just didn't take their chances. So in so many ways, it was they ruthlessly exploited Brentford's weaknesses, which had been identified by the coaching staff, and 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 they managed to do that. But Brentford also contributed to to their own downfall. And as I said, I think those Bruno goals did come at crucial times because. The first one was to break the deadlock, but Newcastle, first 10 minutes had been sloppy, had conceded, which was rightly then ruled out because uh, Ivan Toney was was in, in an offside position, even though he didn't touch the ball before Embremo scored. But Newcastle had a few difficult moments. That almost woke them up to a certain degree. And then also Bruno getting that third one just after what I thought was a very harsh penalty. I can see, and I know his arms up, but I was going to ask you about this. I'm, I'm not having it as a, I, I, by the letter of the law, in theory it is. But then I was watching the Arsenal Liverpool game yesterday. The other one, and it's yeah. like, how is that one not a penalty? Because he actually does have his arm, and Burn is facing the other He's way. Facing the ball, Burn's facing yeah. the other way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, know I, I, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday as well, and I couldn't get my head around why one was and why one wasn't. They either both are, yeah. or neither of them. Yeah, are. exactly. You know, it's that's what you can't say one is and one isn't because they're essentially the same thing. And if anything, Gabriel's is more, well, it's not intentional, but he's he's looking at the ball as it's crossed and he's put his hand up. Burns, Burns' hand comes over after he jumps, the ball hits it. It's a weird, stupid rule. And the ones going the other way as well that were disallowed yesterday, the Rashford one and the, the Mikel Antonio one that stood but was exactly the same. And I don't, I just, I can't get my head around it. We need to go back to intentional and unintentional. And that's it. Stop pissing about with the rules, man. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, right. Eddie's men are Old Trafford bound on Sunday. Are we confident of getting something? Historically, a pretty awful place for us to go, isn't it? Let's be honest. But uh, who knows the way things are at the minute? Well, exactly. I mean, I touched upon this in my piece from the weekend's game, sort of saying that the, the power of St. James's at the moment and the way that Newcastle are, the form that, that they've been in, 
uh, the fifth highest number of points accumulated by any Premier League side in 2022, unbeaten at home, only lost once all season. The way that they are intimidating opposition sides, you do wonder how far can this Newcastle side go? And they, at the minute, you must think they, they probably are in that European equation. They're in the top six at the minute. Six in the league, man. Exactly. Six in the league. What's but going next, on? Next week, I think, is a big... We will find out a lot more about where Newcastle are and how far they can go because they've got Man United away, they've then got Everton at home midweek, and then they yeah. go to Spurs and the following Spurs. Sunday. So yeah. three games in eight days, two of which are against so-called big six sides. And if they can come out of that with sort of between four and six points, I think that then you're suddenly thinking, hmm, yeah, they, they, they could be up there. But that's a re- Man United is a real challenge because they, they got an important win at the weekend against Everton. They'd, they'd struggled, they'd fallen behind. And if Newcastle can, can go there and actually pick up a positive result at the ground, which historically has been awful for them, then I think that I think that that'll just, just increase the confidence levels further in a team which already looks like it's got so much self-belief. Brilliant. Uh, right, we're going to be back in just a minute with Kev Lawson. We're going to look in depth on some of those stats. But don't forget, you can subscribe to The Athletic at a special price of just £1 a month for the first six months. To claim that offer, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and get access to all of our great writing as well as ad-free versions of The Athletic's podcasts. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Sign up now. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. Uh, so as the season has progressed, we felt like the team was playing well, but perhaps not getting their just rewards in terms of points. Uh, but after back-to-back wins, is it possible we are now slightly flattered by our points tally? Chris probably thinks so, the miserable sod. Uh, there's only one way to get to the bottom of this. Jelly wrestling! <laughs> no, actually, uh, it's to speak to somebody who knows about how to crunch the numbers. Uh, and fresh from being published by the club's website recently, uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome Kevin Lawson to the show. Hi, Kevin, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Excellent. Thank you for inviting me on. I feel really privileged to be here as a long-time listener. So, Long-time listener, first-time caller. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kev, um, so what have you been doing? What's, what's your background with this? You're, you're heavily involved in the stats and you run YI Scout as well uh, on, on Twitter. Is that right? Um, what, what's sort of your background on this and what sort of activities have you been doing with regards to football data? So I've been sort of dabbling in football data for, for years, really. It's sort of crystallized at the end of the last Brucey season basically so like um, this time last year I'd set up YI Scout as a new brand facing the wider public and um, it was kind of like a, a bit of a 
you know, middle finger to Mike Ashley at that point. He wasn't really, didn't really care about the club. So I, I was like, do you know what? Like I could go the other way and just, you know, it, all of it be, become apathetic and, and so forth like that. But I just decided that, you know, the club deserves people that care about it. And so I, I created the account and then, you know, a, a few months later, I managed to land a job at Statsbomb, who are one of the main data collectors in the football industry. Um, and yeah, uh, it's sort of all, all snowballed from there. It's been like a bit of a whirlwind 12 months. Like I found out I had the job at Statsbomb on a Monday and then Newcastle got taken over like a few days later. And then I was at like the Statsbomb conference the day after that. And um, yeah, it was very, a very, very like great week it's like one of those if Carlsberg did weeks weeks you know excellent stuff well George will want credit for Kev's appearance because he had an interaction on on social media last week but um but actually Ollie our producer had already suggested we get Kev on and I I speak to Kev fairly regularly we exchange messages and he's very useful at pointing me in the direction of data because it's not something on which I pretend is my strong point although we do like to to use I mean Kev before we get into too much of, of, of the of the specific data on sort of Newcastle this season and in general, when you when you look back at the st- the end of the Steve Bruce era and you compare it to now, and it, it let's just stick with the statistics. Statistically, how different are Newcastle now? I mean, <laughs> we are completely different. It's like if Bruce was the you know the barger on the Suez Canal, um, how is like a like someone's just opened the dam? It is legitimately a 180 from where we were this time uh, last season like the back end of last season when how like like from the end of December through to the end of the season when you could see the players finally getting fit and like able to like implement the press and everything that how wanted to do um it was mainly everything was mainly driven by how well we defended we would, you know, we we got Chris Wood in, and he was like the big guy up front. But we were still, you know, we were still sort of scraping around for goals. This season, it's a completely, you know, we're still good at defending. We've liked really, really great at defending. But actually, it's our attacking metrics that just look seriously, seriously impressive. And um, I think I put something out on social media yesterday to say Newcastle are legitimately in the conversation for sixth and upwards. Now, I'm not saying they're going to be you know, in the top six, but we're definitely in the conversation. Now, if you compare that to 12 months ago, like that's, that feels, feels wild. Cause even though we have spent 200 million on players, it does feel like we're just one or two injuries away from being back to the group that, you know, that sort of kept us going for the last like four or five seasons. The nucleus is very much still the same as well, isn't it? The, the nucleus of the team and the group is it's still the same sort of team as what Steve Bruce had. Essentially, essentially, I think like, you can see like they've made quality additions all the way down the spine of the team and that definitely helps but it doesn't hurt that Howe seems to be have the bit of the Midas touch of literally improving every single one of those players like whereas under Bruce we were an unstructured mess to be quite frank and like I, I, I say that with all due respect to, to Steve's you know thousand games in, in football um, but every every little detail about the way how Hal's team plays football, especially after the summer, and he's you know had a chance to really sort of drill absolutely everything into them, is is really impressive. Is really impressive to watch, uh, and I think like you can hear that around the ground, like the nerves um, and the disbelief about like, are we really a good football team again? It it, it's, it takes a little while for that for those cogs it hasn't to quite sunk in yet. Yeah, uh, it it certainly hasn't hasn't for me like. 
someone much smarter than me at Statsbomb said, Kev, I think Newcastle are legitimately the top six team. And I was my I was like, oh, no, top eight, top eight, like like this there's, there's parts of my brain that still wants that are so well, it's used the natural to... the natural pessimism of a Newcastle fan, isn't it, that kicks in at that point. That's what that is. Yeah, you know, the natural order of the last fourteen years is it's not gonna last. Like that's yeah. that's 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 quite quite frankly what it is. And I'm not sure I'm not sure that that can continue now. I think we might all have to accept and be a little bit bullish and maybe confident that we've got a decent team again. Well, let's let's drill down into some of those stats. Uh, we're looking remarkably strong in especially the attacking stats side of things. Um, in the top five for all of these stats, shots, crosses, corners taken, amount of times we've hit the woodwork, goals and goals from outside of the box. The, the shots one to me is a big one because... I remember under Steve Bruce, we were like we were like possibly the lowest club in the league for the amount of shots we took. Newcastle, right now, are actually fourth highest shots for shots per ninety in the league, which is we take sixteen shots a game. And anyone that's sort of does follow me on social media will know all summer I was harping on about shot volume, like just take more shots. You know the goals will come. And what's even more more impressive is we're top of the entire league for shots from set pieces per 90. And that's just edging towards six. It's just a sea change when you look at like the shots we're taking versus the shots we're giving up and compare the expected goal values of those two things. Um, the difference between them, a bit like goal difference, so this is expected goal difference, is the third highest in the league too. And that is like 0.85, which means... We're close to a goal ahead per game than our, our opponents in the you know the quality of the chances we're creating, and that's that's third in the league right now. Um, our schedule hasn't been like amazingly bad, but it hasn't been kind either, right? So like we are legit, and it's difficult to it's difficult to process. I'm going to be quite honest because I didn't expect us to be quite so good quite so quickly. Kev, you, you mentioned the, the shot volume, and it is something we, we spoke about. I mean, you were saying going into the summer, Newcastle need to sign someone who just takes lots of shots. You were saying that's exactly what they need to do. I mean, we've only seen Isak for, for a couple of matches, and uh, I mean, he, 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 got a, he got a couple of goals, but isn't necessarily that someone who takes all of those sorts of shots. How, how do you think it has translated into them taking more shots? Do you think it's because they are higher at the pitch, they're pressing higher? That it just, it's just Is that change in mentality? How do you think one's transferred in the other? Jurgen Klopp's got this famous quote about like a good press being the best playmaker. We get the ball back so cheaply so often. Unlike Brentford, most teams like don't try and play through us. They like knock the ball long and hope for a knockdown or whatnot. And you know, you saw against Brentford, like if you're not good enough to do that, like we played against Brighton and City and Liverpool, and they all played through the press pretty well, to be, you know, quite frank. But if you've not got the quality of players to do that, then that what happens against Brentford happens. You know, you pick up some easy shots, some easy chances, and suddenly it, you know, it you're five one up without actually having to create a lot, like from your own attacking. It's just from mistakes. It's a it's 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 like seeing Newcastle be so organised in that sort of way, picking up on teams' errors rather than being the team making the error is like I don't I, like I can't remember. I think we have to go back to Keegan era nineties for that, right? Like even under Asunas, we had Boomsong just leathering it to 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 five yards to people like 
outside his own box. So it's uh, yeah, it's not good. Kev, you mentioned that sort of change in style of play. I'm I'm actually writing about this with with, with our own on data guys at the minute about the about the press and the fact that Newcastle have gone from I mean under Steve Bruce and under even under Benitez previously, but under Steve Bruce they played such low block and were very passive, so passive, def- yeah, yeah, passive defensively. Whereas now. I mean, they've got the highest number of, of, of high turnovers, turnovers in the final third in terms of winning the ball. As you say, three of the goals on on Saturday essentially came from, from turning the ball over in the opposition half, one of which was obviously the, a terrible back pass, but forced by Almiron pressing high. Yeah. Jacob no, Murphy's goal came from Jacob Murphy pressing exactly. as well. Exactly. For, yeah. for, for, for Bruno's yeah. second, there was five Newcastle players basically around where there were three Brentford players just inside their half. I mean, that change... I think it was the I think that at one stage they had the, they were the most passive team for five years in the Premier League to now being this team of ultra aggressive high press and to have done that in less than a year under how how impressive is that? It's super impressive. It's, it's a bit of a like a microcosm of the last twelve months, right? Like gone from like being the most inactive football club in English <laughs> Premier League history yeah. to the most active. You know, like everything's looking up and so forth like that. I think like I think I, I mentioned before like. In December, you could see like the players just weren't fit for those first two months. That Howell was there, they just weren't fit enough to do this style of play, even though Howell wanted to implement it and and so forth like that. And once they got there, you could see actually we weren't giving weren't giving the ball away quite so much. We're getting cheap possession back a little bit more, and it, they go hand in hand. You know, if you're forcing teams to kick it long to play poor passes, you end up with the possession more often. And that's something that's really changed this season is Newcastle are having more of the ball. Even when you don't necessarily have, like, like we don't have a team of Bruno Gamarishes, right? But if we're getting cheap possession back over and over and over again and getting cheap turnovers high up the field, that's going to make a big difference to even the nucleus of those players that we've you know that really do run and work and that love the club so uh, it's 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 so impressive and i'm going to like like be completely transparent as well based on you know his previous record at bournemouth i did not think Eddie Howe had this level of performance in his locker especially defensively that's not what his teams were like known for like i think most of the seasons he was up up in the league under bournemouth like they they conceded more than 60 goals a season which is a lot it was every season yeah every season yeah yeah like it's it's a lot right and i just didn't couldn't couldn't see how he could come in and fix the thing that needed to be fixed so quickly but he one of the good things about eddie howe that's that seems to have happened and we we now rejoice about the fact is he seems to be a manager that's able to learn, and that is incredibly dif- difficult to find in the football football world. I mean, we've seen with Bruce and what's happened at, at West Brom, like not wanting to again to cast any dispersions, but like you can see, managers do get stuck in their ways, and the ones that don't, the ones that are evolve with the game, are rare as hen's teeth. We've spoken about those attacking stats a bit there, and, and the turnovers and the high press and everything. But one of the things I didn't realise until. Uh, when I was watching Match of the Day, was that Newcastle now have one of the meanest defences in the league as well, which is it's great if you can get the balance of both of those things. If your attacking stats are great and your defensive stats are great, we're now tied with Man City and Brighton as having the meanest defence in the league. I mean, We've obviously put the bulk of our investment into into the defence. Uh, I think, like, although, you know, you see, like, Rolls-Royce performances from Botman, who, you know, wins basically everything in the air, plays lovely passes. But Nick Pope's contribution really shouldn't 
be you know underestimated he's far more active than Dubravka was off his line he comes for crosses it like especially in that last five ten minutes where maybe we've only got a one goal lead you can just see him he's just out straight off the line trying to trying to grab claim the ball and just calm everything down and it's just instills confidence into the defense doesn't it when you've got a goalkeeper who's prepared to come and do that it's yeah that's huge I feel less nervous watching Newcastle in the last sort of 10 minutes or seeing out games now, which is like, as a, you know, a season ticket holder, like that's not something that you're used to, right? So it's it, like for, for years upon years, like shaky Newcastle at the back, you know, Newcastle are going to give give one up if you put them under pressure. That, it doesn't feel like that anymore. And um, that's... That's not just like a change from last season. That's an entire like it's a culture change in the in a club that's used to conceding goals all the way back to the nineties. So, one of the things that um that I wanted to ask you about as well is your first featured article for Newcastle United as well. Yeah, we go. Was yeah, was about Miguel Almiron, wasn't it? And he's had a great a great start of the season. I want to know if you're going to be the one who converts Chris Woff into a into a believer into one of the Miggy bunch because I've been a fan of Miggies for a long time and I and I. I always felt that he, he was harshly treated slightly. Chris wasn't too sure at the start of the season that he should be starting games, but I think he's proven himself, hasn't he? I think so. Uh, like I, We put this together alongside the club. We you know, sat down and had a conversation about, like basically we saw Albion, a, a Twitter account called Albion Analytics, uh, start putting stuff up on Brighton and Hove Albion's um, website. And we thought... I thought at the point, oh, this is a good opportunity to have a conversation with Newcastle about whether this would be something they'd be interested in. So we 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 thought about like what the first sort of the frame of the first article could be, and you know Miguel Almiron is a player that does divide opinion sort of quite readily in Newcastle, and I think for legitimate reasons, like he doesn't score a lot of goals or hasn't previously scored a lot of goals, but he obviously works really hard and is like the embodiment of the we don't demand a team that wins. We demand a team that tries mantra, right? He's the like, he's the embodiment of that. We started to have a look at the data and you could see from the moment he started to play right wing towards the back end of um, last season in that inside right for- forward position, his stats, his, his underlying statistics, his XGs started to creep upwards. And then he scored the, you know, really good goal against Palace. Everyone's like, oh, wow, why didn't we see that a bit more? And then, during pre-season, we see Almer on the goal machine, right? We see, I think he scored, was it six in pre-season? Five or six in pre-season? Yeah. Six, yeah. And a few assists as well. And like the the, the question was, is can, can he bring this into, into, the, into the new season? Gets a, a really scruffy one against Man City, which was, for him, a bit unusual because it came from inside the the six yard box. Like most Almiron's rarely actually there to just get the tap ins and get the scruffy ones. So like immediately when I saw that, I thought well, actually he's starting to really get the you know the fundamentals of what it means to play in a position like that. So we looked again and we could see all of this stuff was incrementally over the that twenty game period just creeping towards Almiron getting into like the per 90 xg sort of 0.25 ish and that means like he should score a goal once every four games is effectively what 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 that means but where he's at now after the the last couple of weekends you know scoring two and and then scoring another at the at, against Brentford he's actually higher 
than he was in his last season at MLS, which is, you know, he was a regular, regular goal scorer uh, for Atlanta. So there's a good chance, well, Mickey's already matched his best ever total in the Premier League. I think there's a good chance that he goes on and and gets maybe twice the amount, maybe eight eight in total. Um, it depends on what, obviously what happens in January and whether his place in the team is under threat at any point. But he's looking way better than Premier League average at the moment, Chris. So um, it's something... Right in reply, Chris. Well, you went on the pod earlier, Kevin, and I absolutely waxed a wriggle about Almiron on Saturday. I thought he was even better than he was the previous weekend. And this is what I want. This is what I've wanted to see from him. And I, I will be delighted if this continues and this trend does continue. But one player who I don't think any of us are going to disagree about is Bruno Gimaraes. Can you just give us a little bit of an insight into into his statistics? Because really, he can do a bit of everything, can't he? I think that's kind of like the big takeaway is like, if you look at like in the sort of statistic industry, when we're comparing players, we tend to use like radars that put a bunch of metrics around the outside and then create like this surface area and the wider the surface area, the better the player. When he came from Lyon, his radar was effectively hit all of the corners of like all of the, the upper limits of all of the metrics. It was uh, like a, a joy to see. Um, he's not at, at a, say, a quite as a dominant team and it's a new league. He's not quite at that level. But statistically, he's really basically not bad at anything. And I think even this season, like you've got to remember, like he's not really playing the role that he was playing last season, where he was like this creative six, sort of bursting into the box and, and and so forth like that. He's playing a bit further back in that sort of the holding role while Shel- Shelby's Shelby's out. And um, I think like it's no surprise, like he's in the top ten percent of like the entire league for fouls one, which is weird. He's second of all players in the Premier League per ninety for tackles which is, again, like which is really, really good. And despite being that far back down the pitch, he's in the top 10% for expected assists. Like, it's an accumulation for him. It's not like any one area of his game, like, sticks out like a sore thumb, like Maxi with dribbling, for example. He's just no, he's a no weakness guy. And um, you see a lot of chatter on social media about him being, you know, the best midfielder that Newcastle have ever had. I'm not not suggesting that that's that's the case but there was a lot of comparisons to for, to him and Kabay last weekend and he was winning that argument hands down for for most Newcastle fans that I I was reading and I pretty much go along with that myself too and what does the data say about peroxide blonde hair and how that helps you with uh with, with your performances <laughs> funnily enough i actually had a question about this like i i i wish i was joking but like i had a question about like how how does how does his play you know differ when he's got blonde hair versus non blonde hair and he's like I, I mean if someone can give me a calendar of like the day the games he's had blonde hair versus non blonde hair we can do something with that but like um, it's not there something that go. is in uh, Statsbomb's data collection like data spec as it were. Amazing stuff. Well, we've come an awful long way since Chris's first mention of a double pivot on this podcast sent everyone into uh, hysterics. But thanks, Kev, for joining us. It's been brilliant, interesting, and insightful stuff. Genuinely, I mean, I don't, I don't often pay an awful lot of attention to to statistics and data and stuff. And I think I'm going to start having a bit more of a look. Um, it, it's fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for coming on. It's great, great to have you on, mate. It's a real pleasure to be invited on and to to come on and to talk to you guys. And like, 
I think the, the thing to the key takeaway about all of the advanced stats and the data and stuff like that is like if you're not interested, it doesn't really like add too much to like the audience part of the part of the game. If the only score that you're or the only stat that you're interested in is the one in the top right hand corner, that's completely fine. I've got a mate who hates all of this stuff, and he he pulled me last week and said, "That's three weeks running. You've mentioned XG on the show. Stop it." <laughs> I get that all the time too. It's like uh, it's all it's all it's all rubbish. Um, so like like when you know when you put up something about like a player that's not scored a lot of goals historically and say look actually his numbers are going the right way he he might do better than all and then you know he ends up two weeks later as he's Newcastle's top goal scorer in, in Almiron know, you're like you're like this is the reason why clubs are so invested in it it is it's not perfect but it's the best predictive measures that they that we have now so believe it or not it's probably here to stay you know So, Chris, we had it announced this week uh, that Becky Langley is going to be bringing her Newcastle United women's team back to St. James's Park on November the 27th to face Bradford City. Nelly said Bradford City there. You can't do that, can you? You're not allowed to do that. I'll just ign- I'll just ignore that and just answer what was the uh, initial point, shall I? Um, which was which? Yes. Yeah, so basically, that we knew that there was going to be at least well, there's meant to be at least two games at St. James's this season for the women's team. George and I had written about this in our big uh, read last week, uh, looking at the year since the takeover, saying how it was going to be announced imminently. It was the day after it was confirmed, and they got uh, twenty nearly twenty three thousand. In May, the first ever match at uh, St. James's for the women's side. And given that there isn't any uh, Premier League football or domestic uh, top-level football in the men's course, game yeah. during that time, because the World Cup will be on, hopefully they can get a, a very good crowd f- for that match as well, because uh, I'm sure Newcastle fans will embrace it. I know privately... Amanda Staveley and Maida Gaduzzi are talking about at some point, maybe it's not this occasion, but at some point they would like to sort of break the the, the, the WSL attendance record. Um, so that would be wonderful if they can get anywhere. Something like 47,000 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was the it? North London Derby earlier this year, I think. Yeah. Um, so, but then you've got to remember that is the, that is the WSL. This is, this is the fourth tier of women's football we're talking about here, and there's 23,000 went to see it. Earlier this year, they're regularly getting crowds of fifteen hundred, two and a half thousand to Kingston Park for their fixtures so far this year, and then to get at St James's if they can get anything close to even what they had last time. But as I say, I imagine they could well get more. That'll just be that'll be brilliant. Certainly in the build up to Christmas, it'll just be that sort of fever, sort of atmosphere. I think. Sadly, they're out of the FA WNL Cup, um, but it sounded like they dominated uh, a game against Durham Sestiria, uh, but couldn't break the deadlock and ended up going out on penalties a shame that one uh but the the energy behind the women's game at the minute and the the amount of people who are wanting to go and it's a great day out isn't it chris you've been along with george and it, they're they're fantastic occasions and if newcastle are not playing then the men's team get along take the family take the kids it's it's a great day out yeah and the ambition is there the ambition that is there for the for the men's side of football there for the women's side as well this is the club that it's now part of the main body, as we keep seeing, Becky Langley is full time again, full time in the fourth tier of women's football. 
and they are trying to they are ambitious they they have this idea that they're going to get in the Champions League by 2027 i mean this is it's even more of a whirlwind transformation they've got envisioned for the for the men's side in terms of of getting that far so that desire to for excellence but even so be beyond that as you say it is it is great doubt and it is Newcastle United this is a team which represents the club um and they it is a wonderful atmosphere it's really really fun a lot of, often now in the last few weeks they haven't actually clashed with men's fixtures which is good as well and has helped crowds to improve but at St James's Park for those who haven't been before this could be a really good entry-level game and it could be an opportunity to get inside St James's as well it's difficult to get to to men's games, um, because they're they're almost all sold out. Tickets are are, are selling like like hotcakes. But to, to to see this, to have this big occasion, I think could be brilliant. Absolutely, I've never had a hot cake. Have you had a hot cake before, Chris? Uh, I, I suppose you call it a pudding. Do you call it a pudding if it's hot? I mean, I like I, I like any sort of sort of uh, baked good, really. So uh, I'm sure I probably have, but not an immediately spring to mind. Weird turn of phrase, hot cakes. Anyway, uh, before we go, uh, thanks for all the feedback on last week's show and the articles by Matt Slater uh, and Ollie Kay. As expected, there was plenty of comments on both articles. Uh, any enduring thoughts, Chris, after that whirlwind week of takeover uh, nostalgia? Yes, I think that it was uh, a wonderful celebration of everything Newcastle United on Saturday, uh, I thought it was a great way to to mark the occasion. I thought in that I thought the energy around the place, the feeling of togetherness, the feeling of the club being one again, was wonderful. But it was also a sort of moment for reflection. And, and I know some people probably roll their eyes at this and won't, and won't want to hear it. But Matt Slater's article and also Ali Kay's going to Saudi Arabia. I thought both articles were very balanced. If you haven't read them, I, I would recommend it because I think that it isn't just the sort of uh, just, just completely negative. They absolutely of, weren't hit jobs, were they? Definitely no, they, they, they weren't. And 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 for Matt Slater, I was sort of looking and trying to see how far the Saudi influence does infiltrate in the castle. And it's, it is, it is a legitimate question. They own eighty percent of the, the Saudi Arabian Public Investment Fund owns eighty percent of the club. And basically, his conclusion was almost that, in some ways, it's been similar to how they run their their investments in other companies, and that they. Have have put the money there, and they they are the ultimate decision makers on the big decisions. But, but what they've actually done is they've been smart, and they've put people in positions who are better placed to run the football club. It's been a hands off approach in that sense. Um, and the questions of sports washing won't go away, and nor should they go away. And that, that as I keep as we keep reiterating, um, sports washing only succeeds if, if if you don't talk about it. And some people don't like the term, but there is there are, there are accusations of it, and clearly that is. Uh, at least the allegations that the likes of Amnesty International make about but about why PIF or one of the reasons why PIF have got involved in Newcastle United. So I, I think it showed it brought those questions back into focus as they will do at regular occasion uh, occasions. But also I thought that it, it did show the very best of Newcastle United. And what was interesting was that we also got to hear for only the second time from Yasser Al Ramayan, Newcastle's chairman, governor of the PIF. Uh, it was a it was very important, I think, internally at the club because it had taken a, a lot of putting together to get. There's, there's a lot. We talk about the bureaucracy involved in PIF to get the statement signed off. I think it took a lot of uh, energy from people inside the club. I don't think it actually said that much. It just sort of reiterated the ambitions of previously. And what I would like to see now, and this is not just from Yasser or Ramayan, but also from Dan Ashworth, uh, the sporting director, and from Darren Eels, the CEO, going forward, is, is is greater communication. To hear, we are now a year into this project for want of a 
better term. And where do Newcastle go next? What are the exact lines of power? What 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 is the vision? And we I would like to hear more from the owners going forward. Yes, there were the, there were the, the interviews on the club website, which were, were far more than you got under Mike Ashley previously. But still, to actually have journalists being able to go there, question them, and find out, I would like to see more of that going forward. Absolutely right. Then let's uh, let's finish off one more thing before we go. The Eurovision Song Contest was uh, awarded to Liverpool and not Newcastle. Uh, Chris, obviously, they got a leaked tape of you singing on that We Are The Geordie song and thought we can't possibly give it to a city that would allow somebody to have a voice like that. I just thought that that's the best audio they've ever heard. How are they going to better that if they come to... <laughs> you keep telling yourself that. Chris. On a slightly Sorry. different note, I just want to make one other shout-out to uh, John Gallen on Twitter, who tweeted us earlier to to basically say, listen to the podcast, but also that he's being... Uh, doing some runs for charity for the British Heart Foundation and Prostate Cancer. He did the Great North Run and he completed the Chicago Marathon yesterday. He's doing the New York Marathon on the 6th of November. He said he listened to the podcast for the last six miles uh, of, of, of the marathon yesterday and it helped him get through. So just a huge shout out to him. <laughs> As if it wasn't enough. Uh, uh. As if it wasn't enough of a task, he had to listen to us as well while he was doing it. Amazing. Exactly. He just, oh, just wanted to make sure he had tears like like Culkin just before he gets to the, the, the finish line. So he, need, he, needed, he needed to be crying, just thinking, I want this to stop. Not the marathon, just, just us speaking to him. Absolutely. Right, then let's wrap things up. Uh, cheers, Chris. Great fun today. And cheers to Kev Lawson for coming on as well. Fantastic, insightful uh, data-based chat. Don't forget our special podcast offering. Uh, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can sign up to The Athletic and pay just £1 a month for your first six months. Go and get that deal right now. If that's not value, Chris, I don't want to know what is. Uh, wonderful stuff. Cheers, Chris. Nice to see you. Cheers, Taylor. Have there. a lovely week. And uh, Colgan will be back next week. Uh, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but he will be. Colgan returns. That'll be the worst, the worst film ever. George 2, Colgan returns. <laughs> brilliant stuff right thanks very much everyone for listening uh we'll speak to you very soon take care and have a good week from everyone upon the time thanks a lot bye-bye Athletic.